0: Hello dirtbags, maggots, deplorables, and patriots, to High Crimes Podcast with Dr. Richard Moss, the Nexus of Medicine and Politics. I spent three years working in Asia on a volunteer basis. a one-man operation, uh, head and neck cancer in Thailand, Nepal, India, and Bangladesh. This was the late 80s, early 90s, and amongst the poorest countries in the world, and I I would say Bangladesh was the poorest and and had the, the most challenged healthcare system I would say and uh, also extremely advanced cases. Uh, Just the overpopulation of Bangladesh at the time it was about 120 million this was 1991 and Bangladesh is the size of Wisconsin. Now that population Today, I'm not sure what it is, but, you know, maybe it's almost 200-ly, if I imagine. And it's situated uh, at sea level over the Bay of Bengal and uh, all of the rivers and uh, river systems that come down from the Himalayas. Uh, in Nepal that feed into it and, you know, cause the regular flooding, just uh, so many disasters. But in a way, all of the countries I visited were challenged in many ways. Many of them have improved quite a bit since then, but nonetheless, at the time, uh, very poor and uh, the healthcare system reflected that so i dealt mainly with large head and neck tumors of the throat uh, the oral cavity um, the voice box the larynx and, and of course the uh, enlarged uh, metastatic disease of the lymph nodes of the neck and uh, you know, the challenging cases, the limited resources, and the uh, the flaps that we would have to create. That's kind of a plastic surgical term and technique to reconstruct large defects. And this is the subject of my book, A Surgeon's Odyssey, which uh, really details the three years of that experience, and I am bringing it up, you know, because I had a kind of funny experience when I returned to Asia later on. By then I was already married with children. I had to give up my... a vagabond vagabond lifestyle, a wandering, surgical mendicant, or monk perhaps, not exactly, but wandering, not aimlessly, but wandering, and opening myself up, I suppose you can say, to humanity in its most frail and weak. And diseased, and uh, I did it also on my own. Uh, you know, I was dirt poor myself. As a matter of fact, I had no funding, and I had no money. So I wouldn't say I was as poor as they were, but I—I I was pretty poor, and uh, I mean. I traveled in the way that the locals would travel. Um, You know, if I had a thousand dollars, which I know is a lot of money in terms of a country like Bangladesh, but hear me out, you know, I needed some money to sustain myself and I had a few thousand bucks saved up but I would make $1,000 last six months. Uh, that includes traveling, eating, and these kind of cheap hotels that I used to stay in. And so I very much lived at their level, and uh, did not do this under the auspices of any kind of group, uh, whatever it might be, uh, you know, not the uh, Doctors Without Borders or other charity medical groups, whatever they may be, the Red Cross under the UN, uh, so much of which is a farce and um, I speak about that in my book as well, Uh, and we can talk about that perhaps at a later time. But my purpose here is not so much to go into depth about that experience, that really should be a series of long-form podcasts, but more just to give some background to another story. Uh, When I returned to the United States because, again, I ran out of money, I by then had a wife, that's another story. And uh, which we'll talk about sometime, perhaps, or you can read about it. But I was in private practice by then, you know, and I was earning money. And I had my, by then, two children. I now have four children. But I was always angling to return. I really did not want to live the life of, as the Buddha would call it, a householder. I wanted always to be free. But then you have a baby, then you have another baby, and you become very attached to your children, and you realize that that's it. Once you have children, uh, I think there's ways, I suppose, to get around it. But by and large, you know, kids need stability. And and so really, for all practical purposes, that's the end of the road. Uh, You're stuck. You are a householder. You'll own your home. You'll build your castle. You will continue working, earning money, setting money aside for various things, including Their college education all of those things so my way out of the normalcy of what had become my life driven to that normalcy because I simply ran out of money when I was overseas and I had very little to begin that journey but I was hell bound to get to to make that journey so I went Um, but eventually, I did have to come back, not because I wanted to, but because I ran out of money. So my way around this was to return, and you know maybe I would fly down to Nicaragua or El Salvador and you know try to meet with local ENT head and neck doctors and give a lecture maybe see patients, maybe do a case or two. I did that in Ecuador, and uh, it was, it became apparent to me that it was not the same, you know, because I wasn't living there. I was not really immersed in their system, and it just was different. It's not the same thing as, hey, I'm here, I'll be here for as long as you want me. I'm free. I have no commitments. So, but anyway, part of that effort included a trip to Burma. And I tried so hard to get into Burma when I was living there for those three years. I mean, it's right next door. To, two countries that I had spent a lot of time in. One was Thailand and the other was Bangladesh. And at that time, there was some political strife. It was impossible to get in. The borders were closed. And so it was sort of ironic that I would have the opportunity to go back later where I didn't have the time that I had. At that, then, when I had, when I was over there for three years, and would have stayed forever, but again ran out of money. So it was ironic, but also a little bit um, sad in a way, because now they said yes, come. You know, I contact their main teaching hospital in Rangoon, uh, their capital. And uh, I flew over, I was in Thailand visiting, and then I flew over to Burma uh, into, and I know the names have changed and all the rest, Myanmar and all that, but whatever, Burma, Myanmar, and uh, Rangoon, I forget the new name. Uh, And the Buddhism there is, is magnificent. By the way, the temples incredible. I truly love Burma. Um, On that journey, I uh, also went to Mandalay. And then I took a 13-hour river journey down the Irrawaddy River to Pagan, which is truly one of the wonders of the world, one of the great historic Buddhist centers with hundreds, maybe thousands of incredible stupas, you know, which is a kind of Buddhist structure from all the various Buddhist denominations and the countries where there is a sizable Buddhist element. But anyway, all of that was you know, fascinating, incredible. But my main reason for telling the story was that based on my three years in Asia, I assumed that in Burma, you know, they would want to see sort of the same thing. They'd like to see me do, uh, you know, some big head and neck cancer cases, you know, the big laryngectomies and neck dissections where we remove the lymph nodes of the neck. And then sometimes, tumor is very advanced and you have to remove a lot of skin because the cancer is invaded into the skin and then you have to reconstruct it. All of this is what I did during my first three years in Asia and that is what all the countries I visited seemed to want to do and wanted to watch me do. But when I got to Burma, they wanted me to do nose jobs, which I thought was kind of funny. And uh, it's the reason I'm telling this story. So rather than line me up with, you know, a bunch of really big cases uh, where I would do major resections, cancer resections and reconstructions and, and all of that, <clears throat> they lined me up with a bunch of challenging nose jobs. And so, uh, anyway, I just remembered that and I thought it was somewhat ironic. Uh, but they said, no, 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 don't worry. We, we know how to do the big cases. We want you to teach us how to do a nose job. So they set me up and I will tell you, sometimes I wonder if I should ever do surgery overseas because depending on the country, the supplies and the equipment can be really um, deficient. And uh, I would say that, you know, a nose job, and some of these cases were traumatic cases, scarred down or they had been operated on before, really very difficult cases. You need sharp knives and, good dissection instruments and all of that. And they, I would say, did not have the best uh, stuff that that you really would need, but, you know, it's fine. But you will struggle. And they're all watching you. You know, you're going to... You know, I'd have bigger crowds watching my nose jobs than I had, you know, watching me doing some of these big cancer resections in the other countries I worked in before. And you know you just have to proceed slowly and make sure you know, don't get in a rush because sometimes the instrumentation is inadequate. And uh, so there's some pressure on you to perform because they're all in there, a large number of doctors and residents and attendings so and then when you actually break the nose you know you have to have good sharp chisels and you got it that was the big deal breaking the bones the nasal bones so that you could then shift them over let's say they had a you know a traumatic injury and the nose was fractured and there was a shifting of the bones and so it's thickened bone, it's scarred down. Again, maybe there's been prior surgical efforts. All that is just the way it goes. And, you know, it. you're there and you just have to keep going forward. But where everyone would suddenly stop, you know, in the OR there's a lot of bantering and You know, uh, uh, know, until they get to the good part, you know, everyone's sitting, kind of watching, but also chatting and all of that. When you got out and you said, tap, 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 is what you say when you want to tell your assistant to hit the chisel and tap, tap, they tap it twice. Then you go tap, tap, and they would hear the thud of the chisel that always riveted the attention of, of the oil. Then all of a sudden, they stop talking. and They're watching. And so, you, you know, you make your chisel cuts. Then, you know, of course, you got to go to the other side and do the same thing. And then you get your two thumbs and boom, you shift the bones over. Uh, that's a very dramatic moment in The life of a nose job, um, of a case. And uh, so I talk about this because, you know, I think a lot of them in private practice, you see, most of them have the government job where they're working in the hospital and they, you know, they need that for maybe professional reasons, Uh, you know, they like the status of being an attending, or a professor, or associate professor, but they probably don't make a lot of money from that. That they make in private practice after hours. And my way of thinking here is that in private practice where they do cases and they charge, uh, and that's where they make most of their income, they wanted to offer to, you know, pretty young Burmese girls a nose job. Uh, Maybe they wanted to operate on, you know, the so-called Asian nose to make it more of a European, uh, Anglo sort of nose uh, instead of kind of a flat, broad nose, a thinner, uh, more angular nose. But with all of that being said, still the big hurdle was breaking the bones in a consistent way and shifting them over. So anyway, that is a little story that I thought was interesting and thought I would share uh, with my audience, whoever's out there. And um, it's not really a political story. Uh, Mostly I will be talking politics and not surgery and medicine, but other than where they intersect, like, you know, the whole COVID disaster that, uh, um, burdened us for the, you know, and continues to do so for, you know, the last three years, uh, and believe me, will be back in all of its glory if there's another, um, uh, virus that comes our way from China or elsewhere, whatever it may be. And uh, we'll be ready to discuss that as well. Um, So anyway, check out my website, richardmossmd.com, richardmossmd.com. And I have two books, uh, A Surgeon's Odyssey, and about my travels overseas, as I mentioned, and then Matilda's Triumph, about my beloved mother who raised her five sons as a single mom in the Bronx. So a lot of good stories there. So uh, next time we'll probably get more political uh, and where appropriate, uh, bring medicine into it. But again, generally not specifically, you know, medical, surgical techniques, which we kind of did today, but more political medicine, I, I guess we could call it, but just that uh, nexus uh, between medicine and politics, mainly in terms of things like the CDC, uh, you know, an utterly corrupt organization, and the influence of Pfizer, the whole royalty nonsense uh, with the members of the FDA, the CDC, all of that corruption that we are, I think, aware of that we'll talk about more at another time. So we will see you next. This is uh, Dr. Richard Boss, um, High Crimes Podcast, the nexus of medicine and politics. Thank you.